Thanks, Anel. If you can keep your Bibles open to John chapter 21, I'm sure that would help you um, as we go through this text. But let's pray together as we come. Lord, we thank you that your word has created heavens and the earth and the universe, that it sprang to life. We thank you that your power, um, your word has the power to bring us to life and bring us to see who you really are. And we pray that you'll help us to see the risen Christ. You'll help us to see the grace that's offered there. And you'll help us to live this risen life with you. Speak to us uh, this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's a big question, isn't it? Why, what do we do with those who have fallen away from the faith, who have denied Jesus? It's been a real issue throughout the history. In the 4th century, the Donatist controversy um, happened when the church struggled with the priests and bishops who had denied Jesus many times during the persecution of uh, Christians uh, during the Diocletian emperor. Can the returned traitors, apostates, come back to full communion with uh, those who stood firm? What if you were a Christian who were baptized by one of these priests? Is your baptism still, uh, still valid? when they had denied Jesus later. When the Catholic Church first came to, uh, uh, to, to Korea, uh, there, were, there was severe persecution. When there were only about 20,000 Christians, uh, Catholic Christians, about 10,000 were martyred. Of course, there were many apostates there as well. What does one do who deny their faith under pressure? Are they still Christian? What do we do with Christian leaders who fall? who have made major blunders in their lives. It's surprising the number of theologians and pastors who have fallen in sexual temptations, who committed adultery. What do we do with them? Well, as you know, Peter was a, such a disciple who had fallen away, which is very poignant because Peter was a chief disciple. Peter, do remember, when Peter confessed Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of God, Jesus gives Simon a new name, Peter, which is a wordplay because it sounds like Petra, or the word for rock. And Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church. Peter was, in many ways, a model Christian. But on the night before the crucifixion, Peter denied Jesus not just once, but three times. What do we do with him? So after Jesus comes back to life, I think we feel this tension building as he appears to uh, the disciples. The tension must be building because John tells us uh, in in verse 14 that this wasn't the first time as we come to our text in uh, John 21. This wasn't the first time he appeared to his disciples. This is the third time. The first time he didn't say anything. Um, The second time when Jesus appeared, uh, he rebuked Thomas for not believing in the resurrection. But Peter's, Peter's faults were left uncovered. But in this chapter, it seems that Jesus is taking a deliberate, uh, deliberate um, action to take Peter back to the night that he was, he denied Jesus. For example, we're told in verse 4, chapter 21, verse 4, that Jesus found the disciples early in the morning. Remember how Peter's denial took place early in the morning. Jesus, in verse 9, makes this fire and gathers his disciples around the fire. Back in chapter 19, 18, Remember that Peter was standing around this fire as he was confronted by the Jews. 
And on the fire was where he denied Jesus three times. And Jesus does not go easy on Peter. As you might have noticed, Peter is called Simon Peter, or Peter, in this entire chapter. Verse 2, 3, 7, 11, 15, 17, 19, 20, 21. He's called Peter, Simon Peter, uh, throughout the chapter, except three times when Jesus calls uh, Peter Simon. Simon, son of John, do you love me? That must have stung. That was the name before he became Peter. Even the way that Jesus asks Peter this painful question seems to point out Peter's faults. In verse 15, Jesus asked, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? More than these? What are these? It could possibly be maybe the fishing nets or the fish that he just caught. Maybe he, his job. But it's more likely that he's referring to the disciples, the other disciples. Because remember when Jesus predicted Peter's denial, how Peter answered back at the time, even if everyone falls away, even if all fall away from you, I, will ne- I never will. Even if everybody falls away, he's saying that he loved Jesus more than other disciples, that even if they deny you, I will go with you to the cross, he said. He said he loved Jesus more than others. So Jesus asks, do you love me more than these? And of course, he asked the question not just once, but three times. It's not because his answer wasn't clear the first time. Yes, Lord, I love you, he said. And some people have speculated that maybe there was, in Greek, uh, Jesus, when he asked, do you love me, he uses the word agape. Agape loves the first two times, and the third time he uses the word phileo. Um, That might denote lesser sense of love, lesser sense of sort of sacrificial love. That seems unlikely, uh, because really, Jesus is speaking most likely Aramaic, not Greek. And so the, the words are probably just stylistic. In fact, the reason that the, uh, that, that, uh, uh, that the Bible gives us as to reason why Peter got upset was in verse 17. It was because he asked three times. Verse 17, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? Once again, it must have stung because he is becoming, coming to realize that this is about his denial. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? as he had denied him three times. And there is a very important lesson here, that it's true that Jesus is gentle with us. It's true that Jesus is loving and forgiving. But we're shown here that forgiveness requires naming and recognizing our sins. Jesus doesn't gloss over our sins. He knows them, and when we have forgotten them, he wants us to remember them. This might seem cruel, but uh, according to a theologian named Miroslav Wolf, the recognition of sin is required in order that justice and forgiveness can be established. We shouldn't exaggerate somebody's sin because that would be unjust and not truthful. We shouldn't minimize people's sin against us either because by saying, oh, that's not so bad, when it actually was bad. That's not forgiveness either. The truth needs to come out as the truth in order for justice to be established, and in order for forgiveness to be given. So Jesus confronts Peter. With one of the worst moments of his life, Jesus sought him out, and he reminds him of his denial. But the purpose wasn't to leave Peter hurt. 
No, it's to reinstate Peter as an apostle of Christ. Three times. Remember, he recommissions Peter. Feed my lamb. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Three times he entrusts Peter with the responsibility of taking care of his people who are valuable. Three times Jesus recognizes Peter's falling and yet says, I still want you to do my work. Three times. And that's where the transformation takes place, doesn't it? Those who have been, who have been forgiven, loves, uh, who have been, who have been uh, forgiven little, loves little, he said uh, in Luke chapter 7. Those who have been forgiven a lot, loves a lot. And Jesus is saying that I forgive you even though your fall was, was far, even though you had denied me three times, I still love you. And that's where he is transformed. He's transformed by that love. And here's the thing. This past Holy Week, if, you, if, if you've come to Monday, Thursday, and Friday, we took to, some time to remember our sins. We took some time to write down our sins. And we didn't do this because we want you to feel more remorseful, that you will beat yourself up for your sins, for the things that you have done. We remember our sins so that we recognize the greatness of God's grace for each one of us. We remember our sins so we recognize God's forgiveness of those sins. We remember those sins not as sins uh, that, 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 that needs to be worked on, that, that, that needs to be repaid. We remember our sins and we name our sins as sins that are already forgiven, already taken care of on the cross. We remember them in order to recognize the greatness of God's grace for each one of us, that though our sins are as scarlet, that God has made us white as snow. The focus of repentance, if, if your focus of repentance is yourself, it will be debilitating. You will not be able to get out of yourself. But the focus of repentance has to be the cross. As you repent, you look at the cross and you say, that's where my sins are nailed. That's where my sins are taken care of. That's where it is finished. And there's nothing more that I have to do. We remember our sins as forgiven. And that should love us. That should transform us as we recognize how much God loves us. It should amaze and transform us. But as he comes, isn't it telling what the question Jesus asks Peter is? It's really as precise and sharp as a surgeon's knife. Jesus doesn't ask, why? Why did you deny me? He doesn't ask, can you obey me? He doesn't ask, can you follow me? But tellingly, he asked Simon three times, Simon, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me more than these? What are the things that we love more than God? In other words, what are the idols in our lives? Peter denied Jesus because even though he said that he loves Jesus, at the moment, when the moment came, he loved something else more than Christ. He denied Christ because he loved his reputation more. He loved his life more. Martin Luther says that there is a reason why the first commandment is about idolatry, how there is only one God and we should have no other gods before us because the reason we break any other commandments is because we have other idols in our life, because we love something else other than God in those moments. Other people's approval, 
reputation, sex, money, power, recognition? Do you love God more than any other things? What are your idols? In his very helpful book called, uh, it's a very small book called Counterfeit God, Tim Keller um, asks, uh, gives you a couple of ways to recognize what your idols are. He says, first, what do you daydream about? What do you day- daydream about? What occupies your mind when nothing, you have nothing else to think about? Do you develop this scenario about your career or um, the house that you want to live in, the car that you want to buy? Do you dream, daydream about a particular person? And do you habitually get joy and comfort from thinking about those things? What do you think about? What do you daydream about? Because that is probably your idol, something that you love more than Jesus. Another way of discerning is how you spend your money. Jesus himself said, where your treasure is, your, uh, that's where your heart is also. Where do you spend your money? What do you love more than God? If you loved God, if you loved Christ more than other things, does your bank statement reflect that love? We tend to overspend on the things that we love, on the people that we love. Where do we overspend? Is it charity? Is it church? Is it status symbols like cars or houses, handbags? Another way Keller tells us to uh, think about our idols is um, what happens when our prayer goes unanswered? If you ask God for something and you don't get it, what happens to you? Do you get angry? Do you get, um, do you get immobilized and disillusioned? And you say, God, why? Why doesn't this happen? Do you despair? Are there things that we think that we must have in order for us to be fulfilled. Because that's probably the idol in your life. Do you love me more than these? That was the question that Jesus asked Peter in order to reinstate him. What do we love more than Christ? And of course, if we say that we love Jesus more than anything else, we are given a task to do. After all, Jesus reinstates Peter by saying, feed my lamb, feed my sheep. Our devotion to Christ is, not, is found in action, not just in expression of sentimentality. It's not enough to say, I love you. Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus knows, but then he wants us to go and act on our love. That's why he says, feed my lamb, feed my sheep. That's why he says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And if you think taking care of the sheep and lamb is an easy task, um, if you think the lamb and sheep are nice and white, fluffy creatures that's just uh, cartoon-like, that's just not true. They are dirty, and they are, they're, they're dumb creatures. Of course they're dirty because they're fluffy with all those wool around their, 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 their body. All kinds of thistles and dirt, their feces get stuck in there. It's not just that. They have all kinds of uh, 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 fleas and bugs um, that live there, wildlife in there. As, uh, uh, take care of my lamb. It's not an easy task. Take care of my sheep. In many ways, it's a, uh, God is calling, Jesus is calling uh, Peter to do this thankless task. Uh, take care of people who are dumb enough to not, they, they don't know that the things that are being done is good for them. Who's not able to thank uh, Peter. But as the chief shepherd, 
he calls Peter, his under-shepherd, to self-sacrificially follow him and be the shepherd. In other words, the path that Jesus calls Peter to is in the shape of a cross. And Jesus then says, take care of my sheep. And then he says in verse 19, follow me. And we need to go back. In order to understand what that means, we need to go back to chapter 13, to the scene where Peter, Peter rashly promises that he would, uh, be, be, he would never leave Jesus. So um, back, in, back in chapter 13, 36, Peter asked Jesus, Lord, where you are going? Where, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm, I am going, you cannot follow, but you will follow me later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you? Now I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Did you see all the, the, the words about following Jesus there? Jesus said that where he was going, Peter could not follow. Jesus was going to the cross. And though, though Peter says he would follow Jesus, even to his death, lay down his life for him, Jesus correctly points out that he couldn't follow him to the cross. He would disown him and deny him three times. Peter couldn't follow. Peter, Peter, Peter couldn't follow because he hadn't experienced the depth of God's love for him. He hadn't seen the cross where his sin was, he, he was, his sin was nailed. He didn't, he didn't, he hadn't experienced Jesus coming to him after the resurrection, not to rebuke him, but to bring him back and to reinstate him. He didn't see the depth of Christ's love, so he couldn't follow. He ran away. But now take a look at our text, chapter 21, verses 18 to 19. This is all about the cross again, but it's Peter's cross. He says in verse 18, Very truly I tell you, when you're younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hand, and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Jesus tells Peter that, he, that he, his arms will be stretched out. He will be dressed or even undressed and will be led to the place where he does not want to go. Of course, the history tells us that Peter was crucified on a cross like Jesus under Emperor Nero. He couldn't follow Jesus to the cross, but after he does, he goes to the cross even to his death because he found out the depth of his sinfulness. He found out that he couldn't follow Jesus on his own, but he had experienced the love of God. He had experienced the, he saw his sin nailed on the cross and he saw Jesus coming back to reinstate him. And to feed the lamb and the sheep is a call given to Peter specifically. Come to the cross was, uh, 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 come to the cross and, and take care of the sheep, um, is a call given specifically to Peter. But to come and pick up the cross and follow him is a call that's given to everyone, each one of us. Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. And the way of discipleship not just for Peter, but for all of us, is shaped like a cross. It's marked with self-denial. It's marked with sacrifice. It's marked with forgiveness and greater love for others and greatest love for God. 
But we are all like Simon. Simon Peter. Isn't it true that we have denied Jesus, our Lord, to some degree in our selfishness, in our words, in our deeds, in our silence, in our secret disobedience? Isn't it true that we have loved other things more than Christ? Isn't it true that we have all fallen? And what do we do? What do we do now that we have fallen? We remember Good Friday. We remember how Jesus still went to the cross. We remember how he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We remember Jesus crying, I thirst, as his life was poured out for us. Remember, we remember Jesus saying, It is finished. We remember Easter and how he rose again and how he came and found Peter not to rebuke him but to love him and to tell him that he is his own, that he wants him to continue his ministry. Not just to convict us of our sins but to convict us of his love and to reinstate us in our devotion and love for him. And then he asked us now to follow him, to love him, and to follow him. We have an opportunity to do that um, on our own, in our private devotion, but we also have an opportunity to do that as we come downstairs um, in, in a few minutes' time to think about what baptism was and how really it's a rededication. It's a dedication of our lives back to God and saying that our life is found there in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we will reaffirm our faith um, in him. But before we do that, let's pray. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for a Good Friday that reminds us of the sinfulness of our own sinfulness. And we pray that you'll send your Holy Spirit amongst each one of us. Remind us, Lord, of the things that we have done against you, things that brought you to the cross. But Lord, we pray that as we're reminded of our sin, that you will lift our eyes to the cross. And we won't dwell, we won't dwell on our sins, that we will dwell on the grace that has been poured out upon us on the cross. And we pray that we'll be able to live the risen life with you. And as we go downstairs and as we reaffirm our faith in, in you, we pray that you'll shower down your Holy Spirit and empower us to live the risen life, that all may see that there is, a, there is this power that does live in us, that there is a new kingdom that is coming. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.